Hey everyone, welcome to the Promise Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Promise Church. And to see what else is going on around here at Promise, please visit us at mypromisechurch.com. We hope this message you're about to listen to ministers to you and changes your life. Enjoy. presence of God this morning. I, uh, I didn't know if they were ready for me to come up or not. I just was, I just feel sometimes like putting it in neutral and just saying, Lord, we're here. You're here. We've, we've, come, out, we've come out of our homes and put everything down and set everything aside and we're just here for whatever you've come to do whatever you have for us. When we come to worship, I tell you, anything is possible. I'm so glad that you come to the house today. So glad that you come to worship the Lord. In fact, that's what I want to talk about. Uh, I'm going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you're able to, let's thank the worship team for carrying us into the presence of the Lord this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I, uh, I, I, I've been in this message series called Let the Church, and it's just been in my spirit for a number of months that it's important to um, talk about the church. Um, a lot of times we come to church, we talk about something else, but I felt like we ought to come to church and talk about the church uh, and see what, not what we have to say about it, but what God has to say about it. And so we've done Let the Church Pray, we've done Let the Church Gather. And today I want to do Let the Church Worship. But I want to brag on the church for just a moment. Last week we talked about how the church is so much better when we gather together, uh, what we can do when we gather together. In fact, I, I, I opened the word and, and made the case last week from the book of Acts that actually none of those things in the book of Acts happen without the church gathering together. Acts 1 doesn't happen if they don't obey Jesus to go together and gather and pray in that upper room. Uh, Acts 2 doesn't happen if Acts 1 doesn't happen. And, and it's all built on each other, and, and the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 doesn't happen if they don't gather together for the prayer room in Acts 1. And then Acts 3 doesn't happen if Peter, doesn't go, Peter and John don't go to the temple for prayer they don't see the lame man. He doesn't get healed. It's not a very public miracle. They don't go to jail. They don't get in front of the politicians. And all just, I got to brag on the church when they gather together. And I'm excited because this week, I, I love to preach too. I have, I have a message that maybe I'll vi- revisit it sometime. But at the Acts 28, it never really ends. It's just kind of an abrupt stop of the book. The implication is that the book of Acts is still going on. 
We're still seeing healing. We're still seeing salvation. We're still seeing miracles. We're still seeing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're still, all of those things are still happening. And I'll tell you that it's even happening this week. And I have to say, it's because the church is gathering. Uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, and even right now, there's a ton of volunteers over there. God bless them. They're with our kids. Uh, they're doing a kids revival, kids weekend, we're calling it. And um, they have a, their own evangelist over there that's been there Friday night, Saturday morning, and this morning. We had like 75 over there on Friday night. I believe there's probably even more over there this morning. And, and here's the best part is that the kids, the kids team that, that ministers and then even our prayer team that ministers, we tapped both of them, those teams, and they came together Friday night, Saturday morning, and then even this morning, there's, there's a smattering of both teams over there. And the great thing is, is that five of our kids have been baptized in the Holy Spirit on Friday night and Saturday morning. And I'm believing God isn't done. I believe God's doing something over there right now as we're right here. So I just, I'm so thankful for the church and what we're able to do when we gather together. I want to talk today about worship. I want to just give one, one little commercial. Will you allow me one commercial? I know they do a commercial before uh, church, but let me do a one commercial for First Wednesday. First Wednesday, what is that? It's the very first Wednesday of the month. We gather in this room right here for worship, and um, we, we, uh, I'll tell you, the worship team always has a tremendous worship set. It's a quick service. I know that it's in the middle of the week, and you're juggling family and work and all that kind of stuff. I, I talk to people that say, oh, was this? I forgot. I forgot. I want to tell people, you can set a reminder on your phone that reminds you when the first Wednesday is. Uh, and uh, I even remind myself based on location sometimes. When I pull in my driveway, phone, remind me to whatever. So you could do the same thing. When you wake up in the morning, phone, remind me. We might as well, we might as well use you know, Facebook against itself and bring ourselves to church or use the iPhone or whatever to get ourselves to church or whatever. But um, I'm joking about that. But I want you to come first Wednesday. Um, I want to tell you, church is what we make it, really. I mean that. Um, if, if, if just a couple of us are here, it'll, it'll be tough sledding. But if everybody right here come back for Wednesday night, we'd have what we feel right now in the middle of the week. How many know sometimes in the middle of the week, you're already running low? You want a little, little top off of the tank on a Wednesday. And so we, we do a quick message. Um, we've done fun things with the teenagers and different stuff. Um, uh, I'm telling you, every time the worship team brings a great worship set, you can get into the presence of God, and it'll change your week. So turn to somebody, say, see you Wednesday. See you Wednesday. That's all right. Let's praise the Lord together. I feel just the presence of the Lord in the house. I'm okay. I'm not in a hurry today. Lord, we just come to praise you. Let's pray together right now. Would you lift up your hands? Father, we just pray over the rest of this service right now. Jesus, have your way in this place, God. We've come not with a routine, God, or a schedule or just a mundane idea, but God, we've come to encounter your presence. We've come for your salvation. We've come for your word. We've come for your will. We've come for your way. And Father, we just pray have your way. Fall on us, Lord. Fall in this house, God. Fall in this place, Lord. Hallelujah. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Hallelujah. 
have your way, have your way, have your way, have your way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. 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 Amen. 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 Let your spirit fall. Let your presence fall. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all are making it easy to preach about worship today because church is already worshiping. I just feel that in the house. Feel it in the house. All right, I'm going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse number 6. I know I asked you to stand. If you're able to, stand with me. It says, but when they arrived at the threshing floor, everybody say the threshing floor, the oxen stumbled. Everybody say the ox stumbled. And Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord. Notice David's afraid of the Lord and of his judgment. And he asks, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? He was afraid of what God would do uh, with judgment. Verse number 10, so David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he takes it to the house of Obedidim of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obedidim's house for three months. And watch it now. The Lord blessed Obedidim and his entire household. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obedidim's household and everything he has. Notice it now. God blessed everything. He blessed his family the Bible, when it says everything, it means everything. God blessed everything. Why? Because of the ark. Because of the presence of God. So when David, David went, he brought the ark back from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. I want to bring this together with John chapter 4, verse 23. These are the words of Jesus talking to the uh, Samaritan woman on the edge of the well. He says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father. Notice it in spirit and in truth. That's important. I want to talk about that today. And I love this last line. The Father is looking. We spend a lot of time looking for him. But the Father is looking for those who will worship him. That way. God has a way he wants to be worshipped. But when we worship God the way he wants to be worshipped, the difference between prayer is we're going to him. When we worship him, he's looking for us. And so the Father is looking for those that will worship Him that way. Would you greet somebody around? Just say hello. God bless you. Good to see you. Maranatha. Hello. God bless you. All that good stuff. God bless you. God bless you. 
You know, I, um, over these few weeks, I want to preach uh, about the church, who we are, what we do, and why we do what we do. And I think these are important questions. Uh, if you've been with us the last two weeks, I, I know there's times people uh, miss a few weeks. So I'll, I'll do a quick review, but um, people have been asking in our world you know, what is essential? What do I need to get back in my life? Do I need to go back to the office? Do I need to go into the grocery store? Or will I just park right next to the handicapped spot and have people bring my groceries out to my trunk? Do I need to get back into the grocery? Uh, do I need to get back to school? Do I need to get back out? And there's this question, what is essential? What, is this essential? Is that essential? Is school essential? Is Walmart essential? Is McDonald's essential? Is Target essential? Is Publix essential? And people, I think we have to answer this question, is church essential? Or could you just do it online forever? I think that the church has to answer some of those questions. And so that's why I wanted, I've had it in my spirit to preach who we are, what we do, why we pray, why we gather, why we worship, why we come together, and, and even the importance of church. Because I think over the last year and a half, people have, have downgraded the priority of church in their life. I know that there's Christians that go to Publix, but they won't go to church. They'll go to Target, but they won't go to church. They'll go to the movie theater, but they won't go to church. They'll go to a concert, but they won't go to church. And I just have to think that McDonald's isn't as essential as the house of God. And Publix isn't as essential as the house of God. Acts 20 and 28 tells me that, that, that uh, guard yourselves and God's people feed the shepherd, shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood. That means Jesus bought the church with his own blood. Now, I should look it up. I don't know. What is 100 grand buy like a Steak and Shake franchise I saw on Facebook? Or 10 grand? Something wild. I don't know. Maybe a McDonald's is a million bucks. I don't know. A Chipotle, if you want to open it up. I don't know. 100 grand, whatever. I don't know. But you know what the price of the church was? Wasn't 10 grand. Wasn't 100 grand. Wasn't a million. It was the price of the blood of a spotless lamb, the Son of God. Jesus, he took stripes for our healing, he took bruises for our transgression, he bled his blood to purchase the church. I got to tell you, he didn't do that to buy a building, but he did it for the gathering of God's people and the salvation, the blessing, the healing, the restoration, the love, the joy and the peace that happens when God's people gather. And so, so, so Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. So if you want to be on Jesus' side, build the church. If you want to be on hell's side, come against the church. I want to be on Jesus' side because he's building the church. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 21, 13, this was the first message in this series. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Not a house of coffee, but a house of prayer. Not a house of shaking hands and fist bumps, but a house of prayer. Not a house of beautiful landscape, but a house of prayer. 
I love all the other things. I hope that the palm trees are trimmed, and I hope that the, the bathroom's clean. I hope that you have somebody to fist bump. But it's a house of prayer. And so never forget when you come in this house, I've come to pray. I've come to talk to God. I've come to listen to what he has to say to me. This is a house of prayer. It's a house of prayer. It's a place to gather. And so I, I said it last week, but uh, this, the church is, is, is a house of prayer. And it's not a building, but it is a gathering. And so people say, well, the church is, 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 you know, blah, blah. No, it is a gathering. It is a gathering. But it is a church, whether we were gathered in a tent or a temple or, or the parking lot or a park, we are the church when we gather. You're a part of the church when you're at Target, but when you gather with God's people, now we are the church. We become the church when we gather. That's why the word church is ecclesia. It means a gathering. And so I, I've, we've established that the house of God is a house of prayer. We've established that the church is a gathering. That's what it is. I want to preach today, let the church worship, because truly this is a house of worship. It's a place where he's worshipped. Uh, from the very beginning, from the tabernacle, it was a pattern of how to worship God. This is the way that he wants worshipped. We just read that. God has a way that he wants worshipped. He wants worshipped in spirit and in truth. And so I don't want this to be a house where we just come in and hear a motivational speech. But I want it to be a house of worship. I don't want it to be a house where I got my hands in my pocket. And I'm just sitting on a fluffy chair. But I want it to be a house of worship where I come in and I got a hand to raise. I got a praise in my mouth. I've got a clap in my hands. It's a house of worship. That's what I want to preach about today. The first thing I want to say is that let worship be, if, if I want to say everything here is about spirit and truth. If we're going to worship in spirit, that means in the depths of our soul, in our very spirit, it means it's got to be a priority. And, and, and worship has to be a priority in our life. And I'm going to go back. I know I've been in the book of Acts, but I'm going to end in the book of Acts. But I want to begin with David's famous, with, with God's famous worship leader, David. David loved God's house. He said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. When the alarm went off in the king's chamber and it was time to go to church, he was glad when they said that. He loved God's house. Talk about a church builder, Jesus building his church. Talk about a church builder. David was a church builder. He said, God, I'm the king of Israel and I live in a palace. You're the king of kings and you live in a tent. That's not right. I want to build you a house for you to dwell in. God honored that in his heart and said, David, it's not for you to build the house, but I'll put that calling on your son. And David gave every ounce of his wealth to his son, earmarked to build the house of God. And so it was in David's in his heart to, to, to create a place that, that would, would be a, a place where God would dwell and God's people would come to worship. And even though David was a man after God's heart, even though David was glad when it was time to go to church, even, when da even though David was a worshiper, even though we have all these stories of David playing the harp and hitting the loud cymbals and, and singing the songs and writing all the psalms, and we have these stories of David dancing before the Lord. 
shouting before the Lord. And one time he's singing and dancing and his, his clothes are coming off. <laughs> Jackets are coming off. I've been in church services where ladies bobby pins and hair barrettes and, and hair bows are in the altar and somebody lost a you know a button off of their shirt and it's just this is what David was doing. He's spinning and shouting and running and dancing and biting a chunk out of the pew of the tabernacle and swinging off the chandelier. And his wife says, honey, you don't look like a king. You look like a fool. He says, I can get even more foolish, honey. You watch this. He throws his kingly robe off. I feel like he did a little. <laughs> he just, I can, you ain't seen nothing yet, honey. I've come to pray. I don't know what you came to do. But I came to praise the Lord. I came to worship him. That's what I came to do. Because worship is a priority in my life. And all that said, there was a time in David's life where the presence of God became common to him. Worship became mundane. Worship became routine. And I want to warn all of us that we can get to a place where there was something good in our life and now we don't appreciate it. Something God gave us and now we take it for granted. It becomes unappreciated. The church in Laodicea, God says to the church in Revelation, he says, you are not hot and you're not cold. You're lukewarm. I don't even know what to do with you, so I'm just going to spit you out of my mouth. God says, I'd rather you be hot or cold than in the middle. I'd rather you be black or white than gray. I'd rather you be white or black than beige. I don't know what to do with that. If you're cold, I can, I can get you warmed up, but this lukewarm, I, I can't do nothing with that. And that's where David was. And so God, from the very beginning, I established this last week, but Exodus 25, that, that God said, uh, make them a, have them make a sanctuary for me that I can dwell among them. That was the very purpose for the sanctuary. So we talk about the presence of God. The reason for the sanctuary is that God could dwell here. You say, well, God dwells everywhere. He's omnipresent. Yes, he's omnipresent. But there's a difference between his omnipresence and his manifest presence. When Moses was down in the valley, he let him walk with his sandals. But then when he got to the burning bush, God says, now you're on holy ground. You're in my presence now. Take off the sandals. So, so there's a place that's holy, a place that's sacred, a place that God wants to dwell. J David wrote in Psalm 22 and 3, he said, you are holy. You inhabit the praises of Israel. He realized that when his people began to praise him, that God makes that a place he lives. That is his habitation. He inhabits the praises of his people. Let me build one other block on that where Jesus said the Father, John 4, 23, is looking for those who will worship him in that way. So I think it's easy now that we've read these verses to understand that worship brings God's presence that God's house is a place that His presence is special and dwells. And when we praise Him, He inhabits it. He dwells there. And when we praise Him, He's now seeking us. Now, Exodus 25, God told Moses how He wanted the tabernacle. He told us how He wanted that tent of meeting, His house, His dwelling. 
And I, I know that I, I don't have time to stay here long, but I just want to establish this, that at the very center of that tabernacle, at the very, the furthest element of it, was the Ark of the Covenant. The ark was the place where God's presence dwelt. It was a box of acacia wood that was wrapped in gold. It was the mercy seat on top of it where God's presence sat on that seat. It was the holy of holies and they would only approach it one time of year to sprinkle the blood of the spotless lamb on that mercy seat in the very presence of God. It was where his presence falls. Now back to our text, David had that ark, and the ark of the covenant became uh, mundane. It became common to David. He began to use it as a tool. He began to use it as a super weapon. He began to realize that when I carry the ark of the covenant out into the battlefield, that the ark of the covenant is like a super weapon, and the enemy is immediately defeated. David realized that whenever he brought the Ark of the Covenant out into the battlefield, they would get the victory. Now you might say, amen, hallelujah, want to take a lap right there. But I would say, hold on, because that happened so much for David that he began to lose his appreciation for it. And how do we know that? We know that because he left it unguarded. The enemy came in at night and stole the Ark from David. Now, I've got to ask the question, why weren't you protecting the ark? Why weren't you guarding the ark? Why didn't you put your best soldiers around the ark? Are you still with me? I, I, because if, if it was me, I'd say, hey, that's the presence of God. We could lose the sword, the shield, the spear, the chariot, the tank. The, uh, we lose it all. But don't you dare lose that ark of the covenant. But the ark became no more special than any of those other armors and weapons. And I just want to stop right there and tell somebody, you've got to protect what God has given you. You've got to protect what God has put in your life. I want to tell somebody, you ought to protect the presence of God in your life. You've got to protect the Holy Spirit, God's presence, God's temple. Somebody ought to protect their prayer life today and just say, I'm not letting anything get in between. Somebody ought to say, I'm, not, I'm protecting the word of God in my life. I'm protecting my family. I'm protecting my spirit. I'm protecting my joy. I'm protecting my salvation. I'm protecting my marriage. I'm protecting my family. I'm protecting my worship. I'm protecting my soul. I don't just say that to get a, a amen or to get hype, but I want to tell you, if you don't protect it, the enemy will take it. Because right. if you don't realize how valuable it is, know that he does. Why does he come against your prayer life? He knows how valuable that is. Why does he come against your worship? He knows how valuable that is. Why does he come against you being in the house of God? Because he knows how valuable that is. If you don't protect it, the enemy will take it. And, and, and I just tell you that the, David woke up and the ark is gone. And they didn't take it because they wanted God. But they took the ark because they wanted what God does through the ark. They wanted the blessing on them, but they didn't want God. The enemy wanted what God did through the ark, but they didn't want God. 
So they went and they put it in their temple next to the idol of Dagon. They wake up the next morning and all of their idols are knocked over. The enemy did not want God. They wanted what God could do for them. Sometimes we treat God like that, like a tool in our tool belt, like a weapon in our arsenal, like God, just kind of get me out of this thing. I remember in the book of Acts that they added the name of Jesus into the mix of all the other magical incantations that they had. So they were saying, you know, in the name of Zeus and in the name of this and that and, and Diana and all this stuff. And then they would throw in Jesus. And the evil spirit said, we know Jesus. We know Paul. But we don't know who you are. And the Bible said that the spirit inside of them took over and began to beat them up, rob them, and left them naked. If you think the Bible's boring, sometimes just open it up and read it. it just... But what I want to say is that sometimes people just want enough Jesus to get them out of a jam. They just want to add Jesus in the mix of their chants and prayers and pray to this and pray to that. And so many people forget that I'm here to serve God. God isn't here to serve me. I wish somebody helped me preach today. I'm here to worship him. He don't worship me. He's God. I'm not. He's the king. He's the Lord. His ways are high. I'm here to worship him. And so, so here's what I want to say is don't separate God's blessing from God. Because the very thing that when you had God, God blessed you with, if you keep the blessing and dismiss God, the thing that he gave you will crush you and curse you when you separate the blessing from the blesser. Because it was the blesser that gave you the blessing and the blesser was carrying the blessing with you. But when you try to carry the blessing without the blesser, you don't have the strength to carry the blessing because it didn't come from you, it came from him. So, so God could, God could, you could have a house, but only God can make it a home. God, God can give you, God can, God, you could get a house on your own, but it's only God that makes it a home. And, and you could start a business on your own, but it's God that blesses it. The Bible says that there, you can have so much favor that everything you touch is blessed. God put so much favor on Jacob that Laban was blessed. God put so much favor on Abraham that anybody that blessed him was blessed and anybody that cursed him was cursed. And the promise of Malachi is that, that not even the fruit will fall until it's ripe and that God is chasing the devourer out of your field. And so you might be able to start a business, but only God can bless the business. And so you might have a house, but it's a house divided, and it's falling, but God is the one that can make it a home. You might have a business, and you're working, and stressed, and fighting, and but only God can bring the blessing. I'll tell you, don't separate the blessing from the blesser. It's God that gave it to you in the beginning. And so don't separate what God can do for you from what God wants to do in you, because God wants that relationship to do it with you. And it's this and it's God that brought the salvation and keeps it. It's God that brought the blessing and the favor and that's the only way to keep it. The second thing I want to say is that not only for our worship to be a priority but to let worship be on you. 
you got to just let worship be on you. I ever met somebody that just, there's worship on their lips. They're just singing a worship song. You get in their car, they're playing gospel songs. You know, I like those people. I do. I, I, I like being around people that have just a praise in their mouth. Hey, it's a great day. Yes, it is, and God's good. You know? You just, hey, you, you, uh, you, you got a big smile today. Yep, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm just, I'm good. Just hallelujah. You know? It's just, hey, how you doing? God's good, and God's good all the time. They just, they got this praise in their spirits, you know? They just got a praise on them. And, and I tell you, you've got to be that kind of person. If you want the presence of God, you've got to be somebody that's a worshiper. Because the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. So if you want God with you, go around always praising God. Go around always worshiping God. Because he's going and he's seeking the worshipers. So just get a worship in your mouth. And the, the problem here was that that presence and that worship was no longer the number one thing in his life. And so it was for David, and that worship was no longer on him. And the reason we know that he wasn't carrying it right, he wasn't letting it be on him right, is because as soon as he got the ark back, in verse number 6, we know from our text, he didn't carry it right. He didn't treat it right. And sometimes people get the blessing, but they don't treat it right. They don't carry it right. And I can imagine some of David's assistants saying, King David, uh, we got the ark back, um, that's good, but we've got to bring the priests, the Levites, and we've got to put the ark on their shoulders because that's God's plan. And David says, nah, you know what, it's not that important, let's just put the box, let's put the ark on the oxen, we'll just have the animals do it. And the assistants are saying, that wasn't God's plan, God's plan was that the, the priests would carry it. And here's how we know that David was now being casual about the presence of God is it was not worth the honor of being hand-carried. God's ark was not worthy of the honor of being hand-carried. It wasn't worthy of the honor of being hand-delivered. We're just going to let the ox pull it. We're just going to put it on the shoulders of... What's an ox a bull, right? It's just they're going to put it on an ox. I'm from Indiana. I should know these farming things. Somebody help me out. It's on an ox, right? It's on an ox. Tell, somebody explain to me later. It's different. I know the hoof, whatever, whatever. We're going to put, I almost said a bull, and I was like, it's the same thing. No, it's not. Just put it on an ox. But what happened was he was putting the ark on things and not people. The presence of God is not meant to be carried by things. It's meant to be carried by people. According to the book of Leviticus, the presence of God was meant to be carried by priests. It was the priests who carried the presence of God. It was not oxen. It was priests who had surrendered and dedicated their whole lives to the ministry. And I want to remind everybody today that in the New Testament, it says we're all a royal priesthood. That we're all a chosen generation. That we're all a holy people. That we're all carriers of God's presence. It said, don't you know that you're a temple of the Holy Ghost? You carry God's presence. You carry God's presence. You carry God's presence. So, so I got to say, and I'm going to make this make sense. God's presence is not carried by stuff, it's carried by God's people. Right. 
It's not carried by stuff. It's carried by God's people. Last week, I said, it's not the building. It's the gathering. It's not the, it's not the building. It's the gathering of God's people. So here's the thing. It's not the stuff that carries God's presence. You could go to the most beautiful cathedral in the world, and if there's not people carrying God's presence, it's dead, dry, dull, dusty, and I've been in them. I've been in them. I didn't feel God there. I, I went to uh, Notre Dame Cathedral, Paris. Beautiful stained glass. Beautiful woodwork. It's a museum. I didn't feel what I felt in here during worship. Because you could build the most beautiful building, but things don't carry God's presence. People are carriers of God's presence. That's why we could be in a tent. We could be in a brush arbor meeting. We could be in a parking lot. We could be in the life center. We could be in a coffee shop. We could be right here. When God's people come together, we are carrying God's presence. We're carrying God's presence. And so, and so it's, not, it, it's not the lights that carries God's presence. It's not the stage that carries God's presence. It's not the beautiful landscaping that carries God's presence. It's not any of that. It's not the smoke. It's not the lights. It's not the screen. I thank God for a clean building. It's not any of that that carries the presence of God. I've got to brag on the church for just a minute because I did last week. But when we went to two services last year, one of the biggest hurdles didn't have anything to do with the building. It had to do with people carrying God's presence. Because when you split up your crowd, you split up your worshipers. When you split up your crowd, you split up your amanners. When you split up the crowd, you split up the folks that come to the front here and just give God a praise. But I'm beyond. I've come to praise God. I want to be a carrier of of God's presence. And so for me, I, I don't care if, if the worship team gets off beat. Although God bless Vic, he's always on beat. I don't care if they sing off key, because I might be singing that key too. I don't care if they're singing a song I heard a million times. I don't care if they're singing a song I heard one time. I don't care if they're off key, off time, off beat, off fat or whatever. I'm here to praise God. I'm here to worship Him because I'm a carrier of God's presence. And worship is a priority to me. And worship is on me. And so if nobody else is going to praise God, I've come to carry God's presence. The anointing isn't on the microphone. The anointing's on the singer. The anointing isn't on the keys. The anointing's on the keyboard player. The anointing's not on the guitar. The anointing's on God's man. It's on God's woman because people are carriers of God's presence. It's not people. It's not things. It's people that carry God's presence. The anointing is on God's people. You know, I think sometimes we come here and and, and we see the people up here on the platform, they're worshiping God and they're doing this. And you might sit in your, in your seat and you think, these people must have a perfect life. And she's up there dancing. He's up there shouting. He's up there clapping. They must have a perfect family, perfect life, perfect business. Because look how they worship God. They must have it all together. 
And what a lot of times what you don't know is that they're carrying a heavy load. They're car- it's been a tough week for them too. They might have had something happen on Tuesday. They might have gone through a tragedy. I've known people in this church gone through tragedy. They come up and sing. They're going, they, they, they have family members sick, but they're, they're up here singing. They're serving in a booth. They're serving in a kid's church because they might be carrying a heavy load, but what they understand is, I'm carrying this. I'm a carrier of God's presence. It's been a tough week, but it's probably been a tough week for somebody else. So I'm going to carry the presence of God into that house because I need the presence of God. But there's somebody else that needs the presence of God. And God's called me to God's called me to be a priest. He's called me to be a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen generation. I'm a holy people. And I'm going to carry a load for God. I'm going to carry God's presence. I want to be somebody that worship is on. That I'm carrying God's presence. I'm carrying God's presence for somebody. Somebody needs God's presence. There's times I've had tough weeks. And the times I didn't feel like getting up and preaching. But I just knew I've got to carry God's presence. I've got to carry God's word one more time. Because somebody needs a breakthrough. And when you see somebody getting a breakthrough up here. It doesn't mean because everything's perfect in their life. Don't judge their breakthrough because you don't know what they've been through. Don't judge their breakthrough because you don't know what they've gone through. But they're here to get a breakthrough in the presence of God and just say, I've come one more time to worship you. Somebody ought to say hallelujah right there. Get worship on you. Get worship on your lips and your mouth, on your hands. Get worship on you. The next thing I want to say is let worship be in your weakness. Let worship be in weakness. We've got to worship him in our spirit, but we've also got to worship him in authenticity, in truth. I don't come in here and praise God every week because everything was awesome. A lot of times I'm praising him out of weakness. A lot of times I'm saying, Lord, it was a tough week, but you're a good God. It was a bad week, but you're a good God. I've gone through some stuff, but I can't wait to get to God's house. I've been fighting some stuff, but I can't wait to get in God's presence. And the Bible says that in, that in, they, in verse 6 that they arrived to the threshing floor. The threshing floor was a big slab, a big place of stone. It was a hard place. And they would bring the harvest, and they would smack it on the ground, and it would separate the wheat from the chaff. Threshing floors were places of separation. How many know it's when you go through hard times that you find things out? When you go through a hard time, you find out who your friends are. You go through a hard time, you find out who your friends aren't. Prodigal son found out, those guys weren't my friends. Those ladies didn't really love me. (laughs) I would go through a hard time, you find out who your friends are. We, we, let, we saw that in 2020. We go through a hard year. That was my last sermon I preached in 2020 was that passage that says, God will allow everything that can be shaken to be shaken. So you'll see what's a firm foundation. And when you go through hard things, you realize, I can't trust them. I can trust him. I can't trust that world, but I can trust God. I can't trust the news, but I can trust the Bible. And you go through a hard time and you realize what you can stand on. 
And they go through this, this, this time of this hard time. They go through this hard place. And it's in those hard places where you find, is God just on my stuff or is he on me? Is he just on my things or is he on me? And, and, and you also begin to realize that not everything in my life has to be good for me to be able to say, God is good. I can worship him on this threshing floor. I can worship him in a hard time, a time of breaking. I can worship him because he's the only firm foundation. And notice that the oxen did not slip when they were walking in grass. They didn't slip when they were walking in mud. They didn't slip when they were walking on craggy, rocky area. They slipped when they got onto the threshing floor. And then it said in verse 7, as the oxen began to slip, that Uzzah tried to stabilize the ark as if God needed his help. The command was you don't touch the ark. If you don't know, you don't touch the ark. You don't do that. And Uzzah thought God needed his help. And he tried to stabilize the ark. Uzzah is a Hebrew word that means strength. God is saying, I don't need your strength. I don't need your strength. That's why in the New Testament it said that man's wisdom is foolishness compared to God's wisdom. And it's in our weakness that his strength is revealed. We don't bring, uh, we don't bring to worship our own strength, our own resume. We don't come to God and say, God, I've got it all figured out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to carry it this way. I'm going to, I'm so smart. And I don't, we don't, we don't, I've, we don't pray that way. If you want, if you pray that way, you might get struck down like Uzzah did. Be careful praying that way. God, I'm, I'm so strong. I'm going to get, no, don't pray that. Job began to ask God questions. God said, don't question me, Job. Where were you when I hung the moon? Where were you when I made the sun? Where were you when I put the planets in order? Where were you when I hung this? Job, keep your mouth shut, son. He doesn't want your strength. He wants your weakness. He doesn't want your strength. He wants your obedience. He said don't touch the box. He don't want your strength. He wants your obedience. He wants your weakness. He doesn't want people that think they've got it all figured out. He wants people that come to it and say, Lord, I know where my help comes from. I'm weak. I'm broken. I'm struggling. If you can come to God, if you can go to anybody with authenticity and truth, you can go to God. And we ought to come to this house every time, fall on our face and say, Lord Jesus, I'm not worthy of your grace. I'm not worthy of your salvation. I'm not worthy of your love. But I ask you to forgive me one more time. I ask you to wash me in your blood one more time. Father, I need you in my life. I've come to worship you one more time. You come to God in your weakness. God is attracted to people that come to him in weakness. And here's how that works. When we recognize our weakness, that's when God's strength comes. Because if I tell God, I've got it all under control, he's going to let you try. If you tell God, I'm going to carry this all by myself, he's going to let you try. That's why Paul said, I rejoice in my weakness. Because it's in my weakness that God's strength and his grace is made perfect and made whole. So you might see those priests 
And you might see somebody ministering in the house of God. And they've, their knees are bent. And they've leaning over. And their back is bent. And they're carrying the presence of God. And they're leaning into it a little bit. And I can imagine those priests as they're carrying that ark. That they're leaning. They're hunched over. They're leaning into the weight and carrying it a little bit. And sometimes you'll see people that are serving God and not everything is going great in their life. And they are struggling and they are hurting and they are carrying a heavy load. But what they learned is, I've got to not lean into my own understanding, but I lean into the presence of God. When I leaned... When I leaned under my own understanding, I was angry, I was jealous, I was offended, I was a brawler, I was a I was a cusser, I was a I was, but now I lean into the presence of God. And now I have grace and mercy and love and joy. And I used to lean this way, but now I lean this way. I used to lean into my own way, but now I lean into God's way. I used to lean to addiction. I used to lean to traps and temptation and sin. And I ran all those things when times got hard. But now I lean. Into the presence of God. I lean into his strength, his grace, and his mercy. And when God gets on you, he'll change the way you walk. He'll change the way you lean. Your tendencies change. Your habits change. You walk different. You talk different. You live different. You praise different. You worship different. That's why I don't judge anybody's breakthrough. I don't know what God brought you through, but you lean different. You walk different. You talk different. You worship different. You live different. Because God made the difference in your life. Somebody say amen. I'll calm down a little bit. The last thing I want to say is let worship bring the blessing. A lot of times people... They won't worship. They withhold worship until the blessing. They put a contingency on God. I'm sitting here on the back row, folks. Forgive me. Y'all are saved, sanctified. I love y'all. So glad you're here today. But some folks sit on the back row with their coffee and their hands in their pocket and say, I ain't worshiping this week. I didn't get a blessing. And they put a contingency on God. But I want to tell you today, let the worship bring the blessing. It said Obed was blessed because the presence of God was in his house. It didn't say he was blessed, then he worshiped and got the presence of God. It was, no, that's backwards. The presence was there, and then the blessing came. I'm getting ahead of myself, but verse number nine, David's now afraid because Uzzah dies, and, and I'm winding down. God's judgment is coming on us. He's thinking, what's going on? He's afraid of the Lord, and he asks, how can I ever bring this ark back into my care? Uh, this is dangerous now. I, I don't want this around because God must be angry with us. If I get too close to it, God might strike me dead. How could I ever bring this back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. He thinks we have to take this somewhere. I don't want to touch it. Uzzah just died. And he says, whose house is around here? They said, well, that's Obed-Edom of Gath. If you know David's history, he don't like people from Gath. So he says, yeah, 
Let's put the box in his house. Let's put the ark in his house. If God's going to strike down one of his covenant men, maybe he'll strike him down too. Let's just put it in Obed-Edom's house. But what we now know is Obed is a Hebrew word for worshiper. The ox slipped. Whose house is around here? Obed. Jesus said the Father is seeking those who will worship him. All of a sudden, the ark goes to a worshiper's house. All of a sudden, the blessing goes to a worshiper's house. Not somebody who blesses because of the blessing. He was already a worshiper. Now the blessing comes. Now the blessing comes. And so from that moment on that that ark was dropped off, the atmosphere in that house changed. Now we have a biblical record of it, but Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote about it as well. Verse 11 told us, we already read it in the beginning, that his whole house was blessed. Everything in his house was blessed. And so I'm just imagining they dropped the ark off. And Obed's like, okay, all right, yeah, you can store it. Put it in my, put in the closet back there. It's okay. He goes to work. He comes back and he's like, babe, you're not, allow me some liberty here. <laughs> I'm just, I, when the Bible says everything, I think it means everything, right? I don't know. He comes back, babe, I got a raise at work today. I got that promotion I've been waiting for. You know, that boss that always cusses me out. He met me in the parking lot, shook my hand, gave me a half bro hug, said he wanted to give me a raise and, and a promotion and gave me Fridays off. I'm working four shifts a week now. I don't know what happened. And she goes, you know what, I, it's, it's unbelievable, but I just went out into the, our garden, and the tomatoes are grown up, the corn is shooting up, everything is blessed in the garden, and the cow is all fat, I think we're going to have some steaks soon, everything's great, and he's like, that's amazing, and then the kids come home from school, and it's like, little Timmy got, a little Ju- Obed Jr., he got A's on his report card, and, and then, and then... Sister Obed, I don't know, whatever, sister, the the sister's name, she comes in and she had all good behavior on her stuff and good grades. I was like, this is amazing. They sit down to dinner and and Obed's like, babe, you've never made casserole better than this casserole. It is just out of this world. And she's like, honey, you look better than you've looked in 20 years. This is just a miracle of God. It just, everything was blessed. And it wasn't now, okay, everything's blessed, let's worship God. He was a worshiper first. Then the blessing of God came. You got to get it in the right order. I don't worship him for what he's done. I worship him for who he is. Just for who he is. I've come to worship him. If he never did anything else, he is worthy of my praise. Oh, I feel that. Somebody give God a praise in the house. Music come. I'm coming to a close. So don't chase the blessing. Chase God, and the blessing comes with it. You can separate blessing from God, but you can't separate God from blessing. You can. What I mean by that is you can have God, get the blessing, dismiss God, try to carry on with the blessing. But here's the thing. If you'll just get God, the blessing comes with it. The blessing comes with it. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you one last verse, and, and I am, I'm quickly closing here this morning. You know, Acts 15, 6, I told you I'd come back to the Acts. Acts 15, verse 16. It said, after this, I will return. They're quoting the prophecy. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins, I will rebuild, and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind, not just the Jews, 
but the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who want the name of Jesus on their life. Says the Lord who does these things. In David's reign, one time, and I appreciate you staying with me today. This is deeper than I normally preach. In David's reign, one time, for a very short time, he built a tent. He just built the tent. He put the ark in the middle of it. He rolled up the flaps of the tent. And he said, anybody that wants to come worship, just come worship. And there was worship. The music was going out. They were worshiping. Anybody could approach the tent and worship God and feel his presence. It was a diversion of the law. Technically, it was against the law. But God allowed it because it was a prophetic vision of what was to come. It was very important. And that's why Jesus said to the woman in John chapter 4, who was a Samaritan, and she's saying, yeah, but Lord, I'm a Samaritan. You know I'm half Jew, half not, and this and that. And I, I was told I can't worship and this and that. And Jesus says, no, 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 the time's now. And, and it's coming. Acts 8 is coming. There's going to be a revival in Samaria, Acts 8. But, but the time's now for you, and, and the time is coming when all that's necessary is that you worship him in spirit and in truth. That's why in Acts, when they, they have the Sumerian revival and the, the apostles are trying to process it, and then Peter's trying to process it, he has the dream in Acts 10, and, and the Italian man is getting saved, and the Holy Spirit's falling, and his whole family's being saved and baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit. They're trying to process it, and then they come together in Acts 15, and somebody stands up and says, hey, this is God reenacting the tent of David where anybody could come and worship the Lord, and anybody could be saved. Because I want to tell the church today, it's always been God's plan to have a house where people could come and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Saying with me, Obadiah was that prototype. He was the one that was born at the wrong time to the wrong family with the wrong last name, the wrong everything. But he was a worshiper, and God found him. When his covenant man wasn't worshiping, God says, hey, there's a guy that's already worshiping. Let's find him, make him the prototype for what's going to happen in the book of Acts. And I just want to tell you, I said it last week, that God's house is my home. I want to tell you God's house is your home. And there's no qualifications except that you worship him in spirit and in truth. I want to tell you, you could maybe you weren't born in this thing. Maybe you got mixed up for a while. Maybe you got turned around for a little while. Maybe you got knocked down. Maybe, maybe you've fallen. Maybe you got confused and lost your way. Maybe this is your first I don't know what it is, but I want to tell you, there's room at the cross for you. There's room in the tent of God for you if you will just worship him. So for three months, God's blessing is growing on Obed's life. And the assistant comes to King David and says, King, you're not going to believe what happened. But you remember that guy we dropped the ark off at his house? David, I have to assume, says, yeah. Did he die yet? I mean, what happened to the guy? And he says, no. He's alive. He's blessed. He bought the house next to him. His business is tripled. He's building an addition on He's buying property all over the place. He's so blessed. 
And here's where it is. Did I put it up there? Put up that last verse, Carlins. David says, hey, let's go get the ark. I want to bring it back to the, 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 there you go. But when they, 12, David was told, the Lord's blessed Obed-Edom's house and everything because of the ark of God. So David says, he don't waste any time. Let's bring the ark back from the house of Obed-Edom back to my city, the city of David. And let's have a great celebration because we need the blessing of God. And this time he didn't mess it up. This time he didn't try to carry it on ox. He brought it with the priest this time. And they took six steps. And they stopped on the sixth. And they sacrificed and they worshiped and they celebrated that they were seven steps closer to the city of David. There's something powerful about taking six steps and then stopping on the seventh and saying, God, I'm in your house. I went through Monday. I went through Tuesday. I went, I'm seven days closer. I'm here to celebrate what God's done. So how many want that ark in their house? How many want the presence of God in their life? I tell you, God will fill you with the Holy Spirit in this house. I'm going to open this altar today. I'm praying. We got kids being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I just believe there can be some adults that get filled with that presence of God in this house today. I'm going to pray over you, and I'm going to say, come. The altar's open. I wonder as many as would would just flood this altar today with worship and say, God, I'm worshiping you. Even if not everything is good, you're still good, and I've come to pray you today. Worship team's going to sing. I'm going to pray over you. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus right now. Lord, I pray that worshipers would arise in this place. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd go after you with everything that we have, God. I pray, Lord, as we call on your name in this very moment, that you will baptize us with your presence, with your spirit, with your power, with your anointing for everybody that's come to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray that right now in the name of Jesus. I wonder how many would come this morning and just begin to lift up the Lord together. Come on, come on, come on. Let's let's raise our hands. Let's reach out to him. Let's step out to him right now. Come on, how many would come to the front this morning and just make this an altar? Come on, how many would come? How many would come and worship the Lord together? This moment will not pass me. Yes, how many would step out today and just say, Lord, I've come to praise you. I've come to praise you. you. I'm giving everything. I'm giving every I am here for you. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Share this message with a friend and don't forget to hit subscribe. See you next time.